I want to talk to you today about the subject, the foolishness of God. The foolishness of God. And turn over your announcements if you can. Take notes. I see many of you are. It will help you throughout the week. Also, you can see our sermons on the website. Right now, they're doing a little uh, updating with their program, so it may not be up quite yet. There's about a week uh, update they had to do, but it should be on as soon as possible. And you know it's normally always up there, metropraise.org. But today's message is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, and the title is The Foolishness of God. Everybody say that with me. The Foolishness of God. Now say it on your own. One, two, three. The Foolishness of God. Amen. Do you know that God says in His Word that His foolishness is smarter than the people's wisdom in the world? Did you know that? Did you know that God is going to teach you today that what seems foolish in the minds of unbelievers is actually wiser than the most extravagant thing this world could ever do? Just to give you an example before we even read this, because I won't have time to cover all the subjects I would like today, but one of the things that we noticed, um, not myself personally, but scientists, that your brain has neurons and electrical connections, and it shoots off these impulses, and they're connected to your nerves. And they've realized that in your brain, you have more electrical connections, more things connecting one to another and shooting impulses than all of the electrical connections on the planet right now. Think about that. That means your mind is more complex than all of the technology we have on this planet. Did you know that? But yet somebody today will look at that mind and say that that mind evolved from a monkey. And then that monkey, I can't even say it without smiling, evolved from a lizard or something. And then that lizard evolved from a little fish. And then that little fish evolved from a little two-cell amoeba or something. And then that evolved from an amino acid. That amino acid evolved from basically water and a strike of lightning. And before that, it was just dust particles being contracted by the Big Bang and the explosion. But if you ask them, where did all of that stuff come from, they don't know. Foolishness. Foolishness. But yet people believe it. People believe right now in this world that they are created, or, or evolved rather, creation is not the right word. People in this world believe they have evolved from animals. But yet your mind is more complex than this entire technological world. Do you see that God can confound the wise of this world like it's nothing? And that if you don't get on God's mind, you're going to miss the whole purpose of life. You're going to miss the whole purpose. You're going to sit here. The train's going to pass you. You're going to miss it. And you're going to go right down the road to hell, not because God didn't love you, not because God didn't care, not because God didn't reach out his hand, but because you and your own mind thought you were smarter than God. Now, watch the connection here. Our brain is more complicated than all of the technological, electrical things we have in this world, all of the electrical hookups. And yet God says he created us in one day. Now imagine what God must be like. 
Imagine what God's mind must be like. The Bible says he can number and name all of the stars. We, um, once again, not personally, but scientists have counted the stars and galaxies and they're trying to come up with numbers and they're dealing with numbers that are so big that computers are even having a hard time just printing out the, the names of the numbers. They keep running out of names, trillion, gazillion, gabillion. You know, it just keeps going on and on and on and on. That's just the number of stars. And the Bible says he's named all of them. And yet somebody will look up at those stars and they'll say they came from nothing. That day just came into existence. I want you to see today as we read in 1 Corinthians that God is not here to try to have a debate with you. And he's not really here to try to have a debate with this world. You know, I want to be honest with you. That's kind of tough for me because I actually like to debate. I mean, I kind of like a good argument. I don't know if anybody else is like me. But I, I can get into a good argument and enjoy myself. Does anybody want to tell on themselves? Raise their hand. Okay, one or two of you. Have, a, have some courage. Yeah, you know what? I wish I could argue people into Christianity. And you know what? I wish I could sit down with them and prove to them there's a God and look at the stars, look at your mind. But you know what? God doesn't really teach that type of approach. Though we should give people answers and we should have wisdom of, you know, this world, of course, we don't want to just, you know, read the Bible and stay in a church building. We do have Christian scientists. We do have Christian mathematical teachers, et cetera, et cetera. But I wish I could debate somebody into believing into God, but that's really not the way God does it. Then, if I couldn't win a debate, I really sometimes, not like harshly, but I wish I could just hit them over the head with something and kind of get sense in their mind. Has anybody ever been in an argument with somebody about God and you wish you could just stop and be like, hold up. (laughs) not, Not that you want to hurt them. You know, you just want to put some sense in their mind. Has anybody ever been there? Maybe I'm not alone. Okay. But you know as well as I do, you can't force them. You can't argue with them. And I want you to see what Paul says now in 1 Corinthians about how he viewed the world he was living in, which is not too much different from the world we're living in, on the discussion of religion and Christianity and the meaning of life. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, as we talk about the foolishness of God. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since the wisdom of God, for since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Verse 22, Jews demand miraculous signs. Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. 
Have you ever played with a little child and you let them hold your pinky and you try to see if they can hold on to it and you pull it away and maybe you tease them a little bit, my little pinky's stronger than you or something like that? What this scripture is saying is that God's weakness is stronger than all of man's strength. That even man's greatest achievement for, for man to put a man on the moon, that's amazing. I mean, to find out the rotation of the moon with the earth, to know the trajectory of the space shuttle, to know just when and how to do it, that's amazing. To get out there in a space suit, walk on the moon, that's amazing. But all of that is still nothing compared to God. Even God's foolishness is wiser than that. Hello? We, we see all of the books that people can write. People can write so many how-to-do books, how to have a happy marriage, how to make more money, how, you know, these infomercials. How many ever just get caught watching an infomercial? I need some interaction today. Come on, man. I'm, I'm actually giving a little uh, Carlton Sheets uh, buy-your-own-house thing to a friend today. You know, I, I bought that, okay? And, and I've just sat there and watched it. We have how-tos on everything. You'll see that vacuum cleaner, and they'll show you over and over again. Then you want it. They'll show you that little bullet, that little blender. My wife is hooked on the bullet. That little thing, you know what I'm talking about, makes a little salsa. You turn over the top and you open it. Anybody ever see that? But the Bible says that everything man invents, everything he comes up with, is nothing compared to God's wisdom. I want to ask you a question today. Are you still trying to figure out life? Yeah, that's a tough question. I want to ask you that today. Are you still trying to figure it out on your own? Have you got into the place where you finally said, God, I'm going to trust you? Are you still at the place right now where you've got to figure it all out? Two plus two equals four. If I get this much money, I do this much, and then I'm this happy. If I have these friends go to these places, then my life will change. If I get this education, have this job, live in this community, then I'll be happy. Have you figured out yet that you can't figure it out? Have you found out that your best attempt at trying to do it really fails? And that truly, honestly, it would be better for you to be weak and God to be strong than for you to be strong and miss the whole boat. You know, sometimes people look at Christianity and they say, oh, you know, that's a crutch. For the weak. Here's the thing. We're all weak. It's just some of us admit it. You see, we're all trapped in this thing called life. We're all going to die. You can pretend that it doesn't matter to you. You can say that, you know, there is no God. But I know there is, and I can't lie to myself anymore. You know, this thing called life has got some people so messed up that they think that when they die, that God, if he does exist, will understand why they wasted their life. He won't. God will hold them accountable for everything they've done. Tell me the meaning of life if you don't put God in it. I always ask that question when I go out witnessing on Belmont and Clark. While people are walking by, I shout out, hey, what's the meaning of life? Now, some here, you might have said what some of them say. First one, usually, sex. To be honest, woo, let's get it on, right? Hello? Then I say back to them, I say, when someone in, in your life that you love dies, will sex take away the pain? And then they find out sex can't be the meaning of life. 
Somebody says, money. I ask the same question. What happens on your worst day? Will money take it away? We know that won't happen. Just watch the entertainment tonight. Watch Jerry Springer, some crazy show. And then all of a sudden, somebody who might be around the crowd might shout out the response that, you know, sounds a lot better. And they'll say, my family. And that's better than sex and money, honestly, right? Family, because those are people. We impact them. But then I'll say back to them, do you know who your great, 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 great granddad is? I don't have a clue. And so will they forget you. You'll be forgotten. Some people say, I live for my family. It's all about these people in my family. You will be forgotten one day. Then somebody will shout out, oh, it's all about fame, power. And then I'll ask them, do you know who the richest man of 14 92 was? Do you know who was the most beautiful, famous person of the 12th century? Do you even know one person in the 12th century? My friends, we will live probably at best 80 to 90 years. We don't even know. There was probably 10, 20, 30, 40 million people on the planet in the 9th and 10th century, and we can't even name to you one. How much more so if humankind goes on out of 6 billion? You and I will be forgotten. Even the greatest achievement we try to achieve will be forgotten. There was a rich person in the 12th century. There was the most popular person back then, but we've totally forgotten them. When Paul was preaching, people began to make fun of him because he talked about life being, uh, the meaning of life being in the cross. He would talk about Jesus, this man from Nazareth who came down to die for man's sins, that he, at the age of 33 years old, was nailed to a tree. He would begin to preach to people about that Jesus. And the Bible says right here that the Greeks began to mock him and laugh at him. You don't even know the names of those Greeks that were alive at that time, but they made fun of Jesus, just like today's people. The people who make fun of Jesus will be long forgotten, but Jesus' name will never be forgotten. Hello. These Greeks made fun of them. See, Greeks at that time were mostly paganistic. They believed in a plurality of God, but some of them were very good at philosophy. And they would get together in these buildings and these great educational halls, kind of like college campuses and they would sit there you know you've seen the the little movies you know they're wearing the toga they got the little you know little leaf hat on and they're just sitting there with their long white beards and they're asking each other do i exist or do i just think i exist those are the questions the greeks would ask themselves how do i know i exist and when paul would come along he would say hey guys you all know the meaning of life it's found in this man named Jesus. He came from a small town. You probably never even heard of it, Nazareth. And at the age of 33 years old, he was crucified. He was executed. That would be like us saying he was put on the electric chair, given the lethal injection. And then Paul said that that man took your sins. And the Greeks would then begin to laugh at him say, what are you talking about? This man taking my sins doesn't even make any sense. I don't even have sin. The Bible says they began to mock him and say, it's foolishness. One man going to take away my sin? The Bible then says that Paul would go to the Jewish people and that the Jewish people were religious. They were the people that actually Jesus came for and they were supposed to understand that there was the meaning of life in God. But the Jewish people demanded always miracles. You remember the person Moses? What did Moses do? He gave them miracles all the time. 
He showed them with the frogs that came into Egypt. He showed them with the gnats and all those things. When they got pushed up against the Red Sea, they wanted the Red. They needed the Red Sea to be parted. When they were in the desert and they needed something to drink, water came out of a rock. So they see miracles. So the Jewish people, when they heard this about Jesus, they said, "That's not a great enough miracle. What's the big deal?" And then Paul would explain, "Oh, but Jesus also rise from the dead." And then he ascended to heaven. And then now, instead of them just saying, we're looking for a miraculous sign, they would now say that if that's your miraculous sign, Jesus died, buried, and rose again from the dead, that is foolishness. The cross is foolishness. Can I tell you what I believe Paul was? He was cross-eyed. That means everywhere he went in life, he saw the cross. Everywhere he went, he saw the cross. He didn't have his eyes crossed. But I like to say he was cross-eyed. Everybody say cross-eyed. Paul knew that if the cross didn't happen, life was meaningless. What do we have without Jesus? What's the best that this world gives you? It's all foolishness compared to what Christ gives. I want you now to turn with me in Ecclesiastes. And I want to show you some of the things that people think are wise in this world. Let's start with some of the things we've already mentioned, and that is the power and the fame, the money. Turn with me to Ecclesiastes. Some of you probably didn't know that book was in your Bible. It's after the Song of Solomon, or Proverbs in between the Song of Solomon. Thank you. And, and turn with me. To Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Listen to what Solomon said about life. Now you've got to understand, Solomon was the king of Israel. Solomon had everything that he wanted. Solomon was the richest and most powerful king that Israel has ever known. He was David's son. He inherited a kingdom. He was very wise. He was very prosperous. Look what Solomon says. Ecclesiastes chapter 2 verse 1. I thought in my heart... Come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. So he said, I'm going to try to get all the pleasure I can. But that was meaningless. Verse number two, laughter, I said. It is foolish. And what pleasure does, the, what does that accomplish? So he tried to laugh and be, have fun all the time, but it didn't accomplish anything. Number three, I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly. My mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was worthwhile to men to do under heaven for the few days of their life. So he says, I even try to get drunk and just party. And he says, I don't even really enjoy it because I know it's wasting my time. So what has he done so far? He's pursued pleasures. That's probably, you know, sex and those things that go with that. Number two, he pursues laughter. That's just having a good time hanging out with his buddies. He then pursues wine, that's drinking, smoking, you know, drugs. It can be all set in there. And he says it's still foolishness. Now look at number four. Some of you might just look at me for a minute, please. Some of you might just say, okay, well, that makes sense. You know, that is foolish. You know, doing drugs, trying to laugh all the time, just trying to have pleasure. You know, that is foolish. We don't need the Bible to tell us that. But hold on, he's going to show you something right now that many of you probably wouldn't think was foolish. He's going to say when he achieved all his greatest work, his job, his family, everything, when he looked at it from eternity, it was still foolish. 
You see, a lot of times people think they need to come to Christ because they're on drugs, their life is tore up, that maybe you need to have a testimony like me. No, talk to my wife. She didn't come from drugs, alcohol, and partying. But she found out that life was meaningless without Christ. Look at verse 4. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself, planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flowering trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired men and women singers, a harem as well, the delights of a man's heart. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. What is this wisdom? That life is meaningless without God. Keep going. Verse 10, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my work, and this was the reward for all my labor. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Then I turned my thoughts to consider wisdom. So now he says he's going to give his time all to just thinking about what life is about, being wise. Also madness and folly. What more can a king's successor do than that which he's already done? I saw that wisdom is better than folly, just as light is better than darkness. A wise man has has eyes in his head while the fool walks in darkness. But I came to realize that the same fate overtakes them both. How many know the fool is going to die one day? Think of the greatest fool in your entire life. Think of the most foolish person you've ever seen in your entire life. Guess what? One day they'll die. Now I want you to think of the most smartest person that's ever lived, you've ever known, Albert Einstein, the richest person. Guess what? They die too. And here's the thing about it. Everybody else in between is not promised tomorrow. The drug addict over there hobbling on one leg trying to get you to give him a dollar out, out, out there on the corner may live to see 80, and your child or my child may not make it to, to see uh, uh, 10 years old. My, my, my mother lost her brother at 10 years old. And we stop and we ask ourselves, why? My mother buried her daughter. And I go out here and I see people on drugs. And we ask ourselves the question, why does one live? Why does one die? You know why? Because we're not in control. We're not the boss of this. Listen to me. As much as I love life, and I'm not here to be sadistic and depressing, but I am here today to tell you, I'm not promised to see you next week. I've already made arrangements with life insurance and who will take the church. I'm telling you. No man is promised tomorrow. My wife and I were flying on a plane one time, and the landing gear would not come down. And that was an experience. My face just turned pale white. And they were like, you know, like talking to us like it's not coming down. We're flying around. And the guy comes with like a big wrench, the pilot, down the middle of the aisle. And I'm like thinking to myself, this is not good. He says, here's our last effort. It's for us to go down there and then turn it manually. How many know that just made me think about what life was about? And I remember my wife saying to me, well, we can't die. We haven't had children yet. We, we haven't seen all the dreams of our church yet. Listen to me. We can die at any time. 
The dreams and vision God gives us is to keep us hoping in life, that we're always hoping, that it's not assure us that we'll always see what we hope for. Some things the Bible says that the men of God didn't see. Abraham didn't see all the promised land. Moses himself couldn't live there. You know, there's always promises in the Bible that sometimes you don't see. We put 100,000 on there for our church. And yes, I want to see 100,000, but that may be my great-grandson. That may be your son pastoring a church. I don't know. But you see, you and I can't get so cocky and say we're going to live because there's all these promises. No. The one promise we have is that no man is promised tomorrow. Solomon said, hey, I looked at wisdom, and yeah, wisdom is better than folly, but the same fate overtakes them both. Go with me to verse 15. Then I thought in my heart, the fate of the fool will overtake me also. What then do I gain by being wise? I said in my heart, this too is meaningless, for the wise man like the fool will not be remembered. In days to come, both will be forgotten. Like the fool, the wise man, man must too die. The wise man too must die. Turn with me back now to 1 Corinthians. Have you stopped trying to figure it all out? We have life, and that's the greatest treasure right now. Salvation is the greatest thing you can have. There are days in my life when I want to complain. And I want to complain about what I have and don't have. You ever have those days? And it's kind of like you make this little list before God and you say, Okay, God, let's see how you're doing. Here are the things that I have, and amen for those. But here are the things that I don't have. I don't have a house. I don't have extra money in the bank. I don't have this. I don't have that. How many have ever made those lists in their heart? Come on. And we call them prayer requests, but really they're complaining. They're complaining requests. We're complaining to God. Well, one day when I was having one of those little pity patty parties all by myself, I felt God say to me, Son, what if I were to let you die when you were 18 years old and that gun was pulled on you? And you would have been in hell now until then. Would you not have screamed out like the rich men did? Just give me one more chance. Come on, let's be honest. I watched Pastor Orlando, a big African-American gentleman from New Orleans, humongous man, come here a few years back. And while he was preaching, he just stopped and began to weep and said, you don't know what God's done for me. God told me that day that same type of thing, son, how can you ever complain to me? I spared you. And I began then to think to myself that if the rest of my life was spent in a wheelchair, it's still good enough to go to heaven. Bible says it's better to go to heaven without any arms and limbs than to have all your arms and limbs and spend eternity in hell. And then God began to share with me, you've had a wife. You're having a family. You have all of these things. I never had to give you one of those things. And he began to tell me the stories of people in the Bible that never got to see that. Stephen, a Christian pastor in the Bible, got stoned preaching his first sermon. There it was. Over, son. You just did what I asked you to do, son. Go out there and preach. Get excited about me and tell the whole world, yes, sir, I'll go, Jesus. Stephen goes out there to preach. He preaches his first sermon. The Jews get upset with him. They stone him and kill him. That was his ministry. No church, no chairs, no pew, no pastor's appreciation. 
Jesus says, you're mine. It may be foolish to the world, but this is wisdom to me. Get on out there and give your life. First martyr. Hello. You see, you and I need to stop complaining and stop trying to figure it out up here and say, even though life sometimes may not be the way I want it to be, even though you may call it foolishness, you have to understand that God is in control and he has a bigger mind than you and I have. He has more of a bigger picture than you and I have. And he has a bigger plan than you and I have. And the Bible says, here's the other thing, that he doesn't have to explain it to us. Sometimes people are like, well, I want to know the will of God. I want to know, should I do this or this or that? And listen to me, all my young adults here, because I know so many of you. It's always, what do I do? Do I go here, there? You know, what Bible college do I go to? What school do I pick? What career? Listen to me. Life really is not going to come with all the answers you're wanting. Sometimes you just got to pick something and do it and say, God, I'm just trusting you. When I wanted to go to Bible college, I saw this television ministry, and I saw all of the awesome things that this church was doing. It was huge. And I said, Dad, I want to go there. And my dad was so happy. And he said, okay, I'm going to take you there. And we drove two hours to go check out the school, and I walked around. It was so awesome and humongous. And I wanted to go there, and, and, and they were nice to me. And I got the application, and I set it in. And I had just been a Christian for just about, you know, six months, and I was so excited. Here, you know, I'd been on drugs, wasted my life and people prayed for me and everybody was so happy that I got saved and my life was finally on track. I was a high school dropout and I get that letter in the mail. Can you guess what that letter said? Denied. And I'm thinking to myself, denied? This is Bible college. I just left all my friends. How can you reject me in Bible college? And I remember that day thinking to myself, what am I going to do? And I remember God saying something to me along the lines of what I'm telling you now. Just pick one and go. Stop waiting around. Stop praying for 50 more to choose from. Just pick one and go, and I'll meet you there. And my friend was traveling, and he said, oh, Joe, you got to hear about this school. There's about 12 of them. They're in New Orleans, but they all are radical. They speak in tongues. They cast out devils. He says, I felt in my heart you're supposed to be there. I said, brother, I'll go. Within two weeks, I got the application, sent it back, was accepted, and drove down to the college that I had never even seen before in my life. Showed up in New Orleans two days later, said goodbye to my dad, and I was in a city with nobody I knew, no idea what the heck I was doing, only been a Christian for nine months, had no plan of where I was going to go from A to B to C to D, but I just knew this was the place where I'm going to start, and I know God will meet me here. You see, sometimes it's the foolishness that's better than our wisdom, because what was my wisdom? My wisdom was, oh, I have to go to Rod Parsley's. I have to have this Bible college. It has to be done this way. But God said, no, I'm going to have you get rejected. I'm going to have you, now, Bible college is close to my house. He said, I'm going to have you get rejected, go 800 miles away from your home so you can't call on mom and daddy when you want to quit. And I'm going to stick you out there with the different people that you've never met before from the south. And you're going to have to learn to get along and eat crawfish. Now think about your life. How many times did you think you're going to do A, B, C, and D, but God took you over to F and Z and Q and R? You thought your life was going to be one step at a time, everything making sense, and all of a sudden you find your life being like connected dots. One point is here, one point is back over here. You feel like you're going backwards. Another point's way over here. But then all of a sudden you look back over time and you can see God is making something beautiful. 
You see, the Bible says that the foolishness of the cross is like that in the largest sense, and that's talking about eternal life. Today, many religions are trying to figure out how can they get to heaven. Muslims are trying to say, well, if we pray five times a day, if we make all of this effort. Hinduism and these different religions are trying to find another way to God. Philosophy. And here, right in this scripture, Paul is saying, this may be foolishness to everybody, but this is the only way God saves, and it's through the cross. And it's through the cross only. That's it. That's it. You may say, that doesn't sound like it makes a lot of sense, but it, but it does to God, and that's good enough. And I think some people today are losing their faith. And I'm going to talk about this for the next few moments now as well. I want to talk to you about the outside world that you're dealing with. Do you know that atheism and unbelief in God grew 900% around the world last year? 900%. Atheism is the largest, fastest growing movement on the planet right now. Christianity grew about 9%. Islam about 2%. 900%. Do you know why it's growing? Because nations that used to be Christian are now leaving and they're turning to atheism. Now Christians still outnumber any other religious group with 1.9 billion people. And that includes all different denominations, Catholics and Protestants. About 2 billion people on the planet. About 1 billion are Muslims or 6 billion. So half of the population either believes in Jesus or Muhammad. But listen, Islam is number three. I mean, uh, atheism is number three. They have approximately almost a billion people. And now it's beginning to grow in nations like Europe, Denmark. Sweden, Sweden, many of you don't know the history of the the Swedish people, but the Swedish people were actually a part of the Protestant Reformation. One of the great reformers came from that area, John Calvin, and now listen to me, in Sweden, eight out of ten people don't even believe in God anymore. Have you noticed how quickly atheism is growing right now in this country? Think about how many you're you're talking to right now that are starting to say, I don't believe in God. I don't have a faith. I don't put my faith in anything. Oh, it doesn't really matter. You know what Paul said? He said, the foolishness of God is wiser than men. I want to ask you a question. Now that you are here, what are you doing to spread the word to them? Remember we talked about at the beginning, well, well, what if I try to debate with them? What if I try to, you know, hit them on the head with the Bible? No, let me tell you the thing that will convince somebody of God, his cross. You know what convinced me of Jesus Christ? It was the cross. My mother didn't have a master's degree. My mother didn't have all the answers. My mother said, it is Jesus. Jesus will change you. You know what people in this world are looking for, and it may seem foolish to you or to other people, especially to them. They are looking for a real encounter with the Jesus of the cross. You know why our services will go to 5 in the morning? I don't care how long they go. Because we're going to make sure that Jesus of the cross shows up here. Do you know why our church believes in the things we do? Because we believe in experiential faith. We don't just believe in this head knowledge like, oh, if you believe, then you'll somehow become Tinkerbell and Peter Pan. No, we believe that only with belief. There's also an experience. Because what's the difference between faith and faith? 
Some people just have faith and faith. Let me tell you what faith and faith is. Faith is saying, oh, I hope my life will change. I hope things will get better. One day I'll move to Puerto Rico and get a nice house on the beach. That's just having faith and faith. That's not what Christians have. We don't have faith and faith itself. We don't have faith and just hope. We have faith in a person. There is a substance of things hoped for. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1. We have faith in a person. He is real and he is with us. And when we put our faith in him, we experience a relationship with him. I want to challenge you in a world that's becoming atheistic. Show them the cross of Jesus Christ and an experience that will change their life. Now I want you to turn with me to verse 26 as we're closing today. I said all of that to say this. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Chapter 1, verse 26. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. Who are those foolish things? I should have said what, but I'm going to say who give it away a little bit. Yeah. Point to a foolish thing. <laughs> Husbands and wives, be careful. We are those foolish things. Oh, come on, look at it. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. Be honest with yourself. Aren't you weak when it comes to the things of God? Aren't you weak in your flesh? I can admit it. But he chose us. We're weak things. We're foolish things. Keep going. It says, verse 28, He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. What does God say when he looks at you? He says, you're a foolish and weak thing, but I choose you. Follow me, and I will use you to tear down the things that are, and I'll build you up and make you my wisdom to this world. What is wisdom to God? Wisdom to God is when someone in this church says, I'll, I'll abstain from sex until I get married. They admit that they're weak. They admit that they don't understand all the details behind it. But they begin to live out a life of purity. And God says he gives them. His righteousness. He gives that newly found virgin their holiness. And the Bible says that when somebody sees them and looks at them and says, Why do you follow God? And they start talking about the cross. And they laugh at them and say they're foolish. God says, In that foolishness I find wisdom. That's my wisdom. You all got to get this. God looks at a life. Someone here. Because none of us have had a perfect life. And there's many of you that have had children outside of wedlock. What does wisdom look like to God when you come before the Lord and you say, I'm going to do it God's way? And you start doing devotions with your family and you start praying and you start believing that your family will be blessed. 
and people begin to look at you. And they judge you because maybe you don't have what they have. You see, maybe you're not influential and noble like them. And then you tell them the reason why you live this way is because of the cross. And then they make fun of you and say you're wasting your time and you just need to get an education and a job and that's all you need. You don't need to go to church. But the Bible says that when you keep living holy, God right here becomes your wisdom. He becomes your redemption. He changes your family. And that family then is used as the wisdom of God. What people said was foolishness is now God's wisdom. For all of you here, the Bible says that when God saved you, He took away your sin and He changed you. And many of you that I know, like Adolfo and Ray and the Carrasco family, many of you like myself, you got saved and you went back to your family and you said that these things will change, X, Y, and Z. And you told them why. And it wasn't because you got a better job. It wasn't because you were going to get a lot of money. It wasn't because of all those reasons. It was because you chose the cross and people made fun of you. And they called it foolishness. But the Bible says now as your life is changing, it is the wisdom of God. It's the righteousness of God. And it will one day bring those people to their knees and thank God. The Bible says on the day of salvation, go ahead and get happy if you want to. The Bible says on the day of salvation, listen, that not only will people confess Jesus is Lord, but they'll give glory to God for all the things Jesus did in his creation. Do you know that? Sinners, one day, matter of fact, turn with me here right now, the Thessalonians. The Bible says that sinners will glorify God on what he has done in his children. Even the sinners, the most, pers- the most persecuting, hating Christian person you can think of, will one day fall on their knees and thank God. Turn with me to First or Second Thessalonians. Let me see right here. Here it is, Second uh, Thessalonians chapter 1. Look at this right here. Second Thessalonians chapter 1 talks about Jesus Christ coming back, about people being punished. Now look at uh, verse 8. He will punish those who do not know God, do not obey the gospel of Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction, shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of His power. On the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. This includes you because of our testimony. The Bible says that we will become a marvel to the people. The Bible says that even the angels will be blown away by what God has done in foolish and weak things like us. Angels will praise God for what God did in your life and my life. You know that you're the marvel of God. When you are going to come before God's judgment seat, sinners are going to marvel and say, Oh my goodness, look what God did. When their eyes are opened, they'll say, Look. Look what happened in Josh's life. Look what happened in Dahlia's life. Look what happened in the Cologne family. We will be the marvel of God. I want to encourage you today 
to trust in the foolishness of God more than the wisdom of this world. Put your hope in the cross because you are foolish and weak without God. The real truth is, is that you only have 80 years that are but a breath of smoke in this flesh and body that's about as thin as a piece of paper with a cantaloupe-sized brain. Hello. And your life will end one day. So put your foolish, weak life in Christ. He'll become your righteousness. He'll become your redemption. He'll become your holiness. And He will be your wisdom. And He will be glorified in you and through you. And then preach Christ. Preach Christ and His cross to this world. I want to see people come to this church and experience our God. I don't want to just give them more theology. I don't want to give an empty head more information or an empty heart. I want to see people meet Jesus. Would you stand up with me please today? Just Leelani, would you come back? The foolishness of God. Solomon said even when he tried all of the good things, he still thought and found out that life was meaningless. If you're not convinced, stick around a while. We'll keep teaching you the Word. For those of you that are already convinced, give your life to Jesus. And when you ever find yourself trying to figure it out, There's nothing wrong with planning. The Bible says we ought to plan. But if you find yourself turning your plans into worry, stop and say, I can't figure this out. The greatest of my wisdom is foolishness to God. Yeah, you wouldn't have chose the path in a million. If you would have asked me, Joe, how do you think you're going to be a pastor when I was 18 years old? If you would have saw my plan, my plan would have been like in this direction. But my, but God's direction was like all over here. But it's so beautiful. See, I see it. Just open your eyes. See the beauty of God. I am reminded of that pastor right here, Pastor Orlando, saying, oh, you don't know what God's done in my life. Remember who you were when God called you. Remember who you were. Think about it. I'm looking at David right now. Remember who you were when you walked in this door. Belle, the day you sat on her couch, right? Jessica, Salvador, coming to our home and going to that building. Remember who you were, Carla, that time you first walked in here. Hector, that time... Did you have long hair back then? When you first met the Lord? or No? Yeah, something like that. <laughs> I can go with it. Just remember whatever that was. Just remembering. You know why? Because we'll never figure it out. A lot of things I could talk about today, what I see going on in the church, I could have given you a hundred points. I could have said, this is what we need to do here, and this is what we need to do here. But there was something today in my heart that just said, the foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of men. The foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of men. I think God is wanting all of us to take a step of faith. If I went around to each one of you and I would say, what's your step of faith? 
Vanessa would say, be going to college, getting a job. Griselda, I'll tell her this a little bit right now. <laughs> Griselda would say, it's going to college. For Eddie Berto, it's preaching with only a week's notice. Step of faith. Seems foolish. Adolfo comes up to Eddie Berto. I need you to preach. What's the proper response? Yes, sir, I'll preach. But what happens then? Oh, I don't know. I don't know if I have enough time. I don't know if I know what to say. Stephen preached his first message off the top of his head. What happens? Our foolishness takes away God's wisdom. But God's wisdom will take away our foolishness. That's your step of faith, brother. Dahlia, what's your step of faith? Going home every day, single mother, this is my family. I'm taking them to Bible study. I'm taking them to church. It looks foolish. It looks foolish to your dad. Why are you out at Bible study till 10 o'clock? Why? Because God's wisdom is smarter than everything I come up with. God's foolishness is better. And it may be foolish to come here and think that this fixes everything, but God says it does. God says when you do this first, you learn these principles and He blesses everything else. Same thing with Bell, giving God everything. Giving God your business. Giving God your life. Hey, every one of you. My wife and I. Giving God our family. We can't figure it out. How many know the first thing about having children? We need to expect the unexpected. How many know we need to admit we don't know? Right? Once you all say that, Hector, come on. That's it. But it's foolish to us, but it's wisdom to God. Why? Because God knows what's going on. God's going to be in control. Whatever needs to change in my wife and I's life, when that baby comes, it's going to change. Looking at Nelson over there, Nelson and, and Gloria. Here you went to a beautiful church. Both of you, beautiful Catholic church. I'm sure if any one of us went there today, I'm sure that everything they have is bigger and nicer and better, longer and older. Maybe even the priest is better looking. I don't know. I doubt that. No, I'm kidding. But what happens? One day, Mike comes to you, and I don't know the conversation, but something along the lines that you shared with me. He says, Mom, Nelson, Dad, you got to come to this church. And what happens now? That's foolish. Right? I go to church. I got my church right here. I'm going here my whole life. Walk right down the road, there's my church. What's the point? Why should I have to go to another church? And maybe you were like some people, and I'm not saying this, you know, if you didn't, but I'm just giving an example, but maybe you drove by and you said, that's the church. Or you came in and you looked around and said, that's it, I'm used to this steeple. When Ish and I walked in this one Catholic building the other day, this thing was so huge, I have never seen anything like that. And he was saying, oh yeah, most Catholic churches look like this. I was like, oh my goodness, I need to get out more. There was just these paintings on the wall. I mean, you know, but it was foolish. If you would have talked to somebody that day from that other church and you and, and you would have told them, I'm sorry, I'm not coming here. I'm going to this church. They would have said, that's foolish. God's here. Our priest is here. But what happened when you walked in here? God met you here. Because it was his plan. What was foolish to us was God's wisdom. That's what we need to get into. Same thing with Yvette. Just checking Yvette out here. Go on a mission trip, right? Some people would say, why do you want to go on a mission trip? Why spend your money to go there? Seems foolish. 
But you went and you gave it your all and God changed your life. It's foolish. It's all foolishness. I look at Jessica and Salvador. I could go here all day. It's foolish. Ask anybody they know. Living together, why get married? They separated from doing what married people should only do, if you know what I mean. That's foolish. If they would have asked somebody, hey, do you think I should do this? Nine times out of ten, nine out of ten people would say, no, you don't have to do that. You love each other. That's all that matters. You don't need to get married. But they said, I want to do what God says. It seems foolish to maybe to me. Maybe it seems foolish to the people around. But I want to do it. And God blesses them because his wisdom, his foolishness is better than man's wisdom. That's what it takes. It takes us letting go and letting God saying, I take, I, I let God take over. Last one, Josh and Mahdi. God says, I want you to be tithers. Josh says, I can't afford to tithe. And everything in his life begins to be taken away. And he's confessed it. Everything begins to be taken away. Loses his car, gets behind on school bills, and then God says, Now give. Don't wait till you're out of poverty. Don't wait till you're out of hardship. Give now. Ish and I sit down with him, and we begin to say, You've got to give your way out of this. You can't save your way out of this. That comes later. You've got to give your way out of this. And in the midst of their greatest loss, they tithe. Ask anybody. Ask any financial advisor. Do you start giving away 10% of your income? No. You're behind on bills. Your car is repossessed. You don't have anything. Do, do you start giving away your money? No. What do you do? You save it. You save it. You save it. But they gave it. Foolishness. And then God gives them a car and blesses them. That's how it works. You see, we got to understand what's foolishness to us if it's found in here is wisdom to God. And if what we call wisdom is not found in here, it is foolishness to God. He created you just like that. He put a brain in you more complicated than everything on this planet. And He says you're His. You belong to Him. He's taken care of you. He's done all of that for you. And all He's saying now is trust Him. It starts with redemption. It starts in believing that story from 2,000 years ago that a man on the cross died for you. And it follows through every day of your life that you will trust God and not what's up here. And you walk by faith, not by sight. And when it's all said and done, you are God's trophy, the one that His angels and all creation will marvel at and you will be to His glory. That's what life is, to be for God's glory. Stephen might not have had everything these TV pastors have, but he lived his life for God's glory. Live for God's glory. That's the happy life. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, thank You for bringing us here. Thank you for taking time today to encourage us. You know, Lord, that that wasn't planned, but some people here needed to be encouraged. Lord, even the ones I couldn't get to, those that need to be encouraged today, just begin to love on them. Begin to teach them, Lord, that, God, they may be weak. They may feel like they're foolish. But, God, you're in control. That, God, you're their wisdom. That, God, you're their righteousness. That, Lord, you're their holiness. You're their redemption. 
You're their uh, God. You are their wisdom. Right now, if you're going through something, we're going to do a little bit reverse altar call. If you're going through something right now and you just want to surrender to God, just meet me up at this altar quickly. I'm not going to pray for you all individually. We're just going to pray together. But quickly, just come up here. If you're just going through something and you just need to surrender your wisdom for God's foolishness, come on. Just come up here and raise up your hands and say, Lord, I surrender. I surrender, Lord. Come on, we're going to pray for those here today as a group because I know that there's so many here. And I was thinking to myself, how do I encourage this group? How do I give steps to success to this group? And I just felt the Lord tell me today, here, just sew it all up in one message. Tell them just to get on my foolishness. Tell them to stop, stop trying to figure it out. This message was for many of you. Many, many of you were sitting here today going, wow, this is a little bit different, but this is for me. You know why? Because God loves you. And while I'm preaching to you, I'm preaching to myself. There are so many things in my life that I want the five-step formula to, but I've got to let go and let God. Jesus, I pray for your children, your sons and daughters, my brothers and sisters, my family and their family, that, Lord, as we surrender, we give it up, that, Father God, you take control. We learn today from Solomon that the worst thing that can happen in life is death. And Lord, we have no control over that. So it doesn't matter how smart we are, how much we die. We could die in a car accident. It doesn't matter. So Lord, if that's the biggest fear we have in life, the fear of death, Lord, we can let that go right now and just say, Lord, my life is yours. We're, we got eternal life. We're born again. We're giving it to you. That's it. We're not going to worry about it anymore. Now, Lord, if we won't worry about the biggest thing that happens in life being death, now all the other things we give to you. We give our family to you. We give our ministries to you. We give our finances to you. Father God, we give the deep things of our heart to you. We give all of the fears and anxieties to you. We give it all to you. Take over. Lead us. Guide us. Jesus, teach us how to pray. Teach us how to worship. Teach us how to serve. Teach us how to do those things you commanded us to do. And you said, if we'll do these, you'll bless these other areas. Jesus, today we seek first the kingdom. We don't seek first the solution to our problems. Though as tempting as that may be, we seek first the kingdom. Come on, somebody seek his kingdom today. I'm going to turn loose some of my prayer workers right now. Be sensitive to those that are up here. If you have a word for them, give them a word. If not, just pray for them and just say, God, have your way. Jesus, we believe in words of wisdom and knowledge. Somebody may pray for you and have one of those today. But we're just going to believe God that you're going to trust Him, no matter, even if you don't hear an answer today. You're going to trust Him. Just do it. I feel that in my heart today for so many of you that are in between decisions, just pick one and do it. Just pick one and do it. Some of you are unemployed, just pick a job and do it. Be faithful and don't quit till you get the one you're looking for. Come on. Come on. 
Jesus. Jesus, some of you just need to get out there and do it. Walk by faith. Walk by faith. Shando reba kando lebaha. Jesus, Jesus, today. The foolishness of God is the wisdom of this world. It's what we need. The wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's eyes. It's the very thing that keeps us from Him. pray for marriages to be strengthened right now. I pray for relationships to be strengthened right now. Jesus, I pray for the family, including children, to be strengthened right now. I feel your presence, Lord, and I thank you. Let us never forget the cross. Let us never forget the cross.